With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, Two Footed Podcast on Tuesday, January the 18th, brought to you by epilindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you geoblock from, while also keeping your data safe. Check out libertyshield.com, the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot, and use the code EPL599. To get $5.99 off your first month subscription. No contract, no long-term commitment, $6.99 thereafter, but one quid for the first month. Instant download to your devices. Get using straight away with LibertyShield.com. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout from those respective sites. Right, folks, uh, it's a very boring Tuesday. Not a whole lot going on in the world of football at the moment. The January transfer window is a bit stagnant. It's a bit boring. If it wasn't for Newcastle, I'm not sure anything would be happening. Now, there are a number of clubs trying to make things happen, trying to get some bits done. But just, we seem to be in a bit of a holding pattern. And I'll be curious to see if over the next 12, 13 days, certain teams start to get a bit panicked, certain teams start to overpay or make bids for players they wouldn't necessarily be looking at. Uh, There's no games because all the games are getting cancelled. But there is one game tonight. We do have one game taking place in the Barclays Premier League tonight, and that is Brighton at home to Chelsea. Should be a good game. Chelsea come in in disappointing form. I think that's fair to say. Only one win in their last five. Only four wins, I think, in their last 12 in the Premier League. So Thomas Tuchel will want to get his team back on track he will want to get his team back to winning ways because it's not just the title race that slipped away from them, but the teams below them have really started to close the gap. Only six points separates them from West Ham. Eight points to Arsenal, but Arsenal have two games in hand. 
10 points to Spurs, but Spurs have four games in hand. So Chelsea can't really afford to continue to slip and slide their way through the season as they have. Brighton, after that long winless spell of over three months, they've won two of their last four. They got a good draw last time out against Crystal Palace, coming back late to snatch that point. They'll have been disappointed not to win the game, given the control they had and the chances they created and the fact they missed a penalty. But against your biggest rivals to come back late and snatch a point and, and crush their hearts a little bit is always a good thing. So that's tonight. That should be a good one. A couple of games uh, also due to take place tomorrow night, but we'll talk about them tomorrow because otherwise there might not be anything to talk about tomorrow. Uh, I owe an apology to Isaac Gilding. Today I was meant to do uh, the best 11s of England, France, Spain and Germany of uncapped players or players that didn't get enough caps given their level of talent and I completely forgot that I was meant to do it until about five minutes before we started recording this. So I promise I will do that tomorrow. I'm going to write those teams up after this podcast and have them ready to go tomorrow. Apologies, Isaac. I will do it tomorrow. I don't know how I forgot because I had it written down and I must have just put something sitting on top of where I had it written uh, and I, I missed it completely. Um, we might as well go through the latest news. Uh, Jordan Ibe, formerly of Liverpool and Bournemouth and Derby County, has signed a three and a half year contract with Adanaspor in Turkey. Uh, great to see him back playing. Great to see him back looking healthy, looking like a guy who wants to play again. He's been through some really tough times uh, since leaving Liverpool. He's spoken about his mental health and his dep- the, the depression that he has, um, he, he's been through. So I, I'm glad to see him back playing. It's been six months or more since he last kicked the ball. So great to see him back. Hopefully this can reinvigorate his career. He's still somehow only 26 years of age, only turned 26 in December. So hopefully he can get back on track, get back to enjoying his life and get back to, you know, doing what he does best, which is play football. Um, Adanaspor are in the second division of the Turkish league. So, um, you know, he should stand out at that level. But we've seen Stephen Kolker go to Turkey recently and rehabilitate his career. And hopefully the same can happen for Jordan Ibe. Um, hopefully that's that's something that can happen for him. Because he is a talented player, and I do want to see him do well uh, going there. Um, Ryan Giggs has had his court case postponed until August the 8th due to a lack of court space, which might be one of the more ridiculous things that I've heard. He was due to go on trial on Monday, accused of coercive behavior and assault against his ex-girlfriend and her sister. However, a hearing was told that nowhere was available in the building. And there are no other buildings available anywhere. 
Um, Mr. Giggs's barrister, Chris Dahl QC, said his client was extremely disappointed at the development. All parties agreed to the new date and the trial is set to last a minimum of five days. Mr. Giggs has pled not guilty to controlling and coercive behaviour against his ex-girlfriend between August 2017 and November 2020. The former Manchester United player has also pled not guilty to assaulting uh, his ex-girlfriend, causing her actual bodily harm and the common assault of her younger sister at his home in Worsley, Greater Manchester, on November 1st, 2020. On Tuesday, Judge Hilary Manley said, unfortunately, it has become necessary to vacate this trial from the list. The reason for this is that there is not a court available to accommodate this trial due to the large backlog of court cases, which has been exacerbated by the pandemic and the need for social distancing. This is the situation which is a daily reality for the criminal courts. Mr Giggs, who is on leave from his position as manager of Wales, is one of British football's most decorated players. Um, Mr Giggs should probably resign his position as manager of Wales. If we're all being honest, he is just a distraction at this point to the national team. And no good can come out of this. So uh, probably for the best if he steps aside. Uh, speaking of Manchester United-related things, Ralph Ranick said the Anthony Martial matter is resolved. Interim Manchester United boss Ralph Ranick considers the Anthony Martial matter resolved. After speaking to the French forward, Ranick said Martial did not want to be in the squad for Saturday's game against Aston Villa. Martial responded on Instagram saying he will never re refuse to play a match for Manchester United. Ranić said, I had a conversation with him on Sunday. The matter is now resolved. Uh, you know the meme of Anchorman? The I don't believe you meme? That's what I'm throwing at this one. I don't believe that it's resolved. I think somebody was lying. I think it was probably Ralph Ranić. I think he got caught out. And I think he's probably trying to backtrack and cover things up. In happier news for Manchester United, Paul Pogba is back in training. Um, don't really know what that means for them. He's out of contract in the summer. They have this big decision to make. It's very unlikely they'll be able to sell him this month. So either he leaves on a free or Manchester United give him a new contract. He doesn't deserve a new contract. He hasn't earned a new contract. Pogba has been at United now five and a half years. He has one good season to show for that. This season is basically an encapsulation of Paul Pogba's time at United. A really promising start to the season and by that I mean two or three games where he got you know seven assists across his first couple of games um, including four against Leeds on the opening day then a lot of bad performances and then an injury and that's basically what Paul Pogba has done since joining Manchester United and this is year six only one season, the 18-19 season, can really be, be described as a success. You, you could argue that the first season, because they won some trophies, was a success. But, I mean, Pogba didn't play particularly well 
in the majority of games. Uh, he is just flattered to deceive. He has never come close to becoming the player that he looked like he might be when he was at Juventus. And when you factor in that United bought him at 23, you'd be expecting that at this point, Pogba would be the best midfielder in the world. That's where he should be. And he's not even in that discussion. Paul Pogba is not even in that discussion. He is a world-class talent who has never come close to becoming a world-class player. And it's funny when you look at the list of the most expensive transfers ever, he was a world record at the time. He's now eighth on the list. The eighth most expensive player ever. It does adjust for inflation, obviously, but Pogba is eighth. Neymar is one. Mbappe is two, both of them to PSG. Phil Coutinho is three to Barcelona. And obviously that didn't work out. João Felix is four to Atletico Madrid. Fair to say that one hasn't worked yet, but he's still so young that you would still give him plenty of time. He's only just turned 22. Antoine Griezmann is five. That one didn't work out. He's away on loan. Jack Grealish is six. He's also the most expensive player in Premier League history. Uh, Thus far, it hasn't gone well. Romelu Lukaku is seventh. Uh, Thus far, it hasn't gone well. Usman Dembele is is joint eighth with Pogba. Um, Flop. Eden Hazard is nine. Sorry, is ten. There's two and eight. So Eden Hazard is next. Chelsea to Real Madrid. Flop. Cristiano Ronaldo, Real Madrid to Juventus. Bought to win the Champions League. Made them worse each season. Sold at a big loss. Flop. Then you get Gareth Bale, Spurs to Real Madrid, Cristiano Ronaldo, United to Real Madrid, Gonzalo Higuain, Napoli to Juventus, flop, Harry Maguire, Leicester to Manchester United, fair to say, it hasn't gone well, Jadon Sancho, Borussia Dortmund to Manchester United, again, fair to say, it hasn't gone well. Virgil van Dijk to Liverpool, an unmitigated success. And other than Cristiano from Manchester United to Real Madrid, I'm not sure I could say any of the rest have been an unmitigated success. And if we want to top this out with the top 20, Kai Havertz, Bayer Leverkusen to Chelsea. Not a success, but he did score the winning goal in the Champions League final, which is big. And Luis Suarez, Liverpool to Barcelona. Runaway success. I would say the only unquestionable successes there, Suarez, Cristiano to Real, and Van Dijk to Liverpool. Neymar hasn't been a flop, but he was both there to win the Champions League and he hasn't done it. Mbappe the same, and they're going to lose Mbappe on a free this summer. So while he's obviously been a tremendous addition on the pitch, he hasn't won them the Champions League, and he's going to leave on a free. So you're going to be out of pocket £163 million. 
That might not matter to PSG, but it is a substantial amount of money. Coutinho's been a flop. Griezmann was a flop. Dembele was a flop. Hazard's a flop. Cristiano to Juventus was a flop. Higuain was a flop. Lukaku to United, not necessarily a flop, but they did lose money on him. And anytime you lose money on a player when you sell them two years later, that's questionable. Havertz, it's too early to say. Sancho, too early to say. Lukaku to Chelsea, too early to say. I still think too early to say on Joe Felix. Too early to say on Grealish. Bale, I mean, yeah, he's won, what, four Champions Leagues? And he played an important role in a couple of them. But week to week, game on game, I don't think he's given them value for money. And he's given them very little in the last four years. Maguire is definitely trending towards flop. Uh, that That's just the, the truth of it. And it's funny, when you look at the next group after, Nicola Pepe to Arsenal, not a flop, but not a success. Kepa, I think he goes down as a flop. Uh, Lucas Hernandez to Bayern Munich, not a failure at all, but not yet a success. Lukaku to Inter, a success, for sure. So that's the top 24. And then we're into Zidane going to Real Madrid all those years ago. So Zidane, Lukaku to Inter. You've got, you've got five out-and-out successes. Some who've done well, but haven't been successful, or you can't qualify them as successful because they didn't achieve what they were brought in to do. Some will wait and see, but a lot of flops there. It does go to show that spending mega money doesn't guarantee success. And I mean, we can keep going down this list, and I might as well while I'm doing it. Angel Di Maria to Manchester United. They lost money on him in one year. Has to go down as a flop. Matthias De Ligt to Juventus. Not a flop, certainly not a success. Same goals for Frankie de Jong. James Rodriguez to Real Madrid, flop. Kevin De Bruyne, runaway success. Artur Barca to Juventus, flop. Victor Simeon, trending towards success, but we don't know yet. It's still very early. It's only 18 months in. The goal return hasn't been what they would have hoped for, but it's, he's definitely, his all-round play is picking up massively. Rodri, definitely trending towards success. Thomas Lamar is an interesting one. He'd be a push at best because they paid a lot of money for him. He's been good, but not great. And they'd probably lose money if they sold him tomorrow. Zlatan to Barca back in the day, flop. Uh, Ruben Diaz trending towards success. Riyad Mahrez, is 60 million, has he been a success? For 60 million, he's not a first-choice player for City. Uh, Maratha to Chelsea, flop. Laporte and Joe Cancel to Man City, definitely trending success. Uh, Kaka to Real, flop. Cavani to PSG, success. Pulisic to Chelsea, definitely not trending the right way. Uh, Di Maria to Paris Saint-Germain, success. Uh, Aubameyang to Arsenal, can't be a flop. He scored too many goals, but the second contract was a dreadful idea. And he's probably going to leave for a minimal fee. Allison to Liverpool, runaway success. Sterling to City, runaway success. Figo to Real Madrid, runaway success. 
Oscar to Shanghai, SIPG, uh, money laundering at its finest. Miralem Pjanic to Barcelona, flop. Luka Jovic to Real Madrid, trending flop. Tangoy Endembele to Tottenham, trending flop. Ashraf Hakimi to PSG, too early to say. Radamel Falco to Monaco. I would say overall, probably a success. But probably not great value for money, all things considered. Did win them a league title. Did win them a league title. But also spent a couple of years out on loan. Missed, he was there from 2013 to 2019. Spent two years on loan and missed a year with a knee injury. Well, missed half a year with a knee injury. His last three years are very good, though. Um, Falco bowling out, though, for uh, Rayo Vallecano, which is great to see. Could have got more money elsewhere, decided not to. And then Nabi Keita is um, kind of the, the 50th one on this list. Not a flop, not a success. A lot will depend on what Liverpool get from or what they do next with him. Um, Injuries have definitely spoiled his time at Liverpool. When he plays, he's excellent. And Liverpool are a better team when he's on the pitch. Unfortunately, he just hasn't been on the pitch often enough. Uh, You're looking at, this is his fourth year at Liverpool. And I think he's played 92 games. 92 games in four years. Last season, he only played 16. The first year, he played 33 games in all competitions. and he was really starting to find the groove until he had that awful injury at the new camp that ruled him out for the rest of the season. Um, but he won a Champions League that year. He only played 27 games the next season, only 18 in the league. Won a league title. Last season, only 16 performances. Not a, not a good year for him. This year, he's been really good. He's played 16 times. He's probably had three poor games. And in the rest, he's been really good. So I don't know that I'd put him down as a failure, but he's certainly not been a success. Um, but it just goes to show that's the top 50 most expensive transfers ever. Less than a less than a third of them have been runaway successes and probably 20 of them have been out-and-out flops, maybe even more. Uh, it, it hasn't been great. It's not great. When you spend that kind of money, you really have to be sure that the player has the right mentality as well as everything else. But Barcelona, Jesus Lord wept. Coutinho flop, Griezmann flop, Dembele flop, all in the top eight. Suarez is the only Barcelona signing in this group that can be tagged as a success. Pjanic, flop. Zlatan, flop. Especially because they threw Etu into that deal as well, just to get rid of him. Uh, And Frankie is a wait and see. But right now, it it, it hasn't gone well. It really hasn't. Ajax sold Frankie and Delict for £132.5 in the summer of 2019. Both of them look like they go on to be world beaters and neither have done particularly well. 
But I do think if you swap them, if you put Frankie in the Juventus team under Allegri and give him full control of that midfield, let him run the show, and you put De Ligt in the Barcelona team, preferably next to Ronald Arejo, I think both of their careers immediately take an upward turn. And there's been rumours of of the lick to Barca. I wonder if either club would entertain that swap. I really do wonder. For me, it benefits both players and it benefits both clubs. I think Barcelona can afford to lose Frankie given the development and the sort of emergence of Gavi and Pedri. And I think Juventus can probably afford to let the lick go and just go and replace him. They've got Benucci, they've still got Chiellini, they've got that young Romanian centre-back that's very highly regarded. And they're all always good at finding centre-backs. Now, if they were a smart club, they would still have Christian Romero um, but they let him leave on a loan with an obligation to buy to Atalanta. Then they did the same thing with Demerel. But they're always fairly good at finding centre-backs. I think they'd be able to replace him, but they're crying out for a midfielder. And Barca are crying out for a centre-back. I have, I have fixed both of their teams. Not fixed them, but I've improved both Barcelona and Real Madrid. By ten past three on a Tuesday, that'll do. Um, is that all the news? That's oh, the Burnley Watford game has been postponed. You're probably already aware of that. Uh, Everton continue to make strange decisions, and at the moment they have obviously contacted uh, Roberto Martinez as a potential new manager, or uh, even on an interim basis till the end of the season. Belgium don't want to allow that to happen, as is their right, as they're his employers. Uh, I'm not sure he'd be willing to step down to take over at Everton, but that seems like what he will have to do. So apparently Everton have requested to interview Wayne Rooney, and they have offered an interview to Frank Lampard. Neither of these are good appointments, neither of them. Lampard... Lampard's an unproven manager who did not do well at Chelsea. He made them worse during his time there and spent a lot of money badly. Now, he did promote young players, which is great, but I'm not sure Everton have the academy for him to do that there the way he did it at Chelsea where they have just this incredible production line. His football is not good. He doesn't seem to have much of a tactical plan. He does seem to be a very much, a, a, you know, go out there and run around and express yourself a bit kind of guy. I'm not sure how well he'd do with a club that don't have a talent advantage. When he was at Derby, he had a talent advantage. When he was at Chelsea, he had a talent advantage. I don't see a talent advantage at Everton. I see talented players. I see big, big holes. So I'm not sure Lampard is a good choice at all. Leave Rooney where he is. It's too early for Wayne Rooney. Far, far too early for Wayne Rooney. And he doesn't, he shouldn't want to walk out of one catastrophic situation into another catastrophic situation. And Everton's a catastrophic situation because there's a, an owner there 
that doesn't seem to know what he's doing. There's no structure in place because they allowed Benitez to tear it all down. And I don't think you can give control of a club like Everton to Wayne Rooney at 36 years of age with, what has he got, just over a year's managerial experience at the bottom end of the championship? Yes, he's doing a great job. There's no doubt he's doing an excellent job at Derby. Without the points deductions, they'd be 11th this season. With a squad made up of, you know, aging cast-offs and young players, that's very impressive. But you also have to factor in there is something going in his favour there. Derby feel like the world is against them. Derby's players feel like everything goes against them. They've just been forced to let Phil Jagielka go because a transfer embargo meant they couldn't extend his contract. You know, these type of things really do galvanise players' minds. Rooney's been able to install a siege mentality there. And by installing that siege mentality, he's got everybody fighting for the one goal, the one common thing. He's got them all pulling in the one direction. And they're also playing with fear. And I don't mean fear as in they're afraid of losing. They're afraid of what might happen if they lose. They're afraid of the fact that not only could that club get relegated, that club could go out of business. If that club goes out of business, then the checks go away. And we're talking about footballers not just going down a division, but losing their jobs. We're talking about footballers becoming unemployed. We're talking about footballers not being able to provide for their families. And we're talking about footballers in the championship who rely on paycheck to paycheck, especially younger players. So I think Rooney has that going from that he's been able to get everybody pulling in the one direction. It's very rare to see at a club. Rooney strikes me as the type of guy who would be able to get people committed to a common goal if they can all see the end point and what's chasing them. What's chasing them is the bank manager. What's chasing them is a trip to the unemployment line and seeing Derby County go out of business and seeing those fans that cheer them on maybe turn against them. So I think that goes in Rooney's favour. That's easier to install in a Derby than it is in an Everton, where players are a bit more privileged. Players don't have those type of concerns. Everton are financially secure because of the ownership. Players are pampered. Players have better facilities. Players have better amenities. Players aren't worried. The club goes down. I've got a relegation release clause. I'm golden. I'm fine. I'll move on. I'll go somewhere else. We also don't know what kind of tact- a tactician Rooney is. Because what we've seen with Derby is very much, let's try not to lose. Not let's go and win games. Let's not lose this game. If we can hit them on the counter, we hit them on the counter. But let's not lose this game. That's the starting point for Rooney. That can't be the starting point at Everton. And the other managers that have been list, none of them really make sense. If you're talking about a club with a vision and identity and a profile of manager that they want, names that have been thrown about, Nuno Espirito Santo, counter-attacking manager, plays a 3-4-3. Everton don't really have the players for his system. He's also failed badly at Spurs this season and probably needs some time off. He may well be damaged goods just at this moment. So he's probably not a good option. Paolo Fonseca. Well, his name has been thrown around at a bunch of different clubs, all of whom made the decision to pass on him in the summer 
which is a little bit concerning to me. If I was looking at that from the outside, I'd wonder, well, why did everybody else pass on him? You know, why did Spurs go all the way down the road with him and then veer away? And he wasn't the only one. Sean Dyche has been mentioned. Now, Dyche makes sense in that he's a very good manager. He deserves a bigger opportunity than he currently has at Burnley. The Everton squad isn't a bad fit for what he would want to do with one or two additions. And, you know, he brings stability to a club. He brings calmness to a club. He can work in difficult situations, as he's shown at Burnley. But Dyche isn't available now, and Dyche probably won't be available till the summer. So are you waiting on Dyche? Is that the plan? If it is, then give it to Big Dunk and Leighton Baines and let them see out the season. Or go and get Ernesto Valverde and pay him a big bag of money to get you through to the end of the season. If that's the plan, that's the plan. That's fine. But if he's one of the guys in a shortlist, then how is Graham Potter on the same shortlist? Because while Graham Potter is also a very good manager who brings a calmness and a, a dictated and dedicated way of playing to his teams, he's got a completely different approach to Sean Dyche. The football's a completely different way of playing. And again, as with Nuno, because of Potter's preference for a back three, though he has played a back four a bit more recently, the players aren't all that well suited to Graham Potter. You don't really have the creative types that Graham Potter would like in your team. Like for Dice, you'd look at it and you'd say, Patterson right back, Michaelenko left back, Godfrey is one of the centre-backs, you get him another centre-back, and then you've got Michael Keane as your third centre-back. You sell off Mina because he's too injury-prone and you bring in somebody else for a bit of depth. That's fine. You've got Nkunku and Colo and Colo. As your backup left back, you've got Seamus Coleman and John Joe Kenny as backup right backs. You've got England's number one. He wouldn't be for me, but he might be for Dyche. So you're fine. In midfield, you've got Alan, you've got Dakura, you've got Gabam, and you can play midfield too. They're all used to playing in a two. So that's fine. Uh, you sell on Andre Gomes. You might keep Tom Davies around. I, I think Dyche would quite like his hustle and bustle style, though I think Davies, for the good of his career, needs to go. Um, you would play Damari Gray on the right wing and you'd have Anthony Gordon as his backup. You'd bring in Dwight McNeil on the left wing and you'd have um, Andros Townsend as his backup and that would be fine. You'd go Calvert-Loon and Richarlison up front. You'd want to bring in one more to complement them and then you've got Rondon knocking about. You've got Moise Keane, who's I think he's got an obligation to buy uh, in his deal with Juventus. So he's probably gone, but you, you'll get money in and you can go and you can buy somebody to give you a third striker and then Rondon as your fourth. So you're talking about a left winger, a backup striker, maybe a bit of depth in midfield, a starting centre-back and a bit of depth behind him as well. And you probably need a better backup goalkeeper than what your current situation is because of Asmir Begovic, but he's not good. So it wouldn't take a massive amount of money for Deich to implement what he wants to do. He could even bring in James Tarkovsky on a free to be that centre-back next to Ben Godfrey. Um, and there's two players he knows, two players that are probably easy enough to get. Tarkovsky in a free, I think 30, 35 million probably gets. Dwight McNeil from Burnley, maybe less if they go down. And Dwight McNeil would make a great supply line for Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison. 
And that's a fairly sensible path for Everton to take. It just means managing your way through the end of this season. And then the more important thing would be convincing Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin to stick around, convincing them to run it back next year with the promise of you know new additions, new manager, new ideas, new way of playing. Now, one of the issues with Dyche is he doesn't work with a director of football at Burnley, but I believe Everton do want to go that route. So in the interim, you'd have to appoint a director of football. And if, if you're going to do that, you have to give them control. You have to allow them heavy involvement, if not even final choice, in the new manager. So Dyche won't be for everybody, but he will be for some. So you've got to go and find someone that identifies. If Dyche is your choice, you've got to go find a director of football who can identify players outside of what Dyche himself might, might identify who can play the Sean Dyche way. It's the same thing with Potter. There's no point in bringing in a director of football who views football one way if you're going to appoint Potter who views it a different way. You've got to align the view of your entire football structure, top to bottom, not bottom to top. It can't start with the manager. It really has to start above him and move down because managers come and go. Structure needs to stay the same. And yes, individuals in the structure can leave, but the footballing identity of the club, the mindset, the way you approach the game, that all needs to remain the same. Liverpool will lose Michael Edwards this summer. Julian Ward will replace him. And the idea is that the machine just keeps moving along. That Ward is not necessarily a clone of Edwards, but will certainly have a lot of the same sensibilities and the same vision as Edwards. Everton need to do this. So if they are going to look at it and say, we're not going to appoint a permanent manager now, we're going to wait till the summer, and we're going to go big after Sean Dyche or Graham Potter, not one or the other, we're going to narrow in on what we want. We're going to get a real idea of who we want to be as a football club. And we're going to go for one of them. And if we can't get that one of them, we're going to go for managers who are similar to them, not polar opposites. And in the interim, you have to build your football structure. Get your director of football. Rebuild your scouting department. Get your chief scouting. Get your head of recruitment in. Rebuild your analytics department. Rebuild your medical department. Get everybody pulling in the one direction. Get everything in place. And then you bring in the manager as the final piece of the puzzle. And part of your sell to him is, look at this structure you're going to work with. We've got the best in analytics. We've got the best in sports science. We've got the best physios. We've got the best recruitment team, the best talent identification team. And all of that's taken off your plate. You'll be getting daily reports on the status of every single player, be it a player we own or a player we're targeting. You'll be kept in the loop every step of the way. You'll be involved in the decision-making process. And if you can bring something to it, great. But if you don't want to, if you want to take a step back, if you just want to give us the profile of what you're looking for, then leave the rest with us. That's taken off your plate. Right now you walk into Everton and you kind of expect the manager might also have to make lunch for the players. You know, there doesn't seem to be anybody left at Everton. So the likes of Lampard, the likes of, of Rooney, 
no. Just say no to these people. Say no to the pressure of the fans. Now, Everton are a weird club in that they pander to the fans in one sense, and then the next sense, they spit in the fans' face. They appointed Benitez knowing the fans would hate it. The fans were up in arms before it was even announced. Once the rumours started, Everton fans were in meltdown. Everton fans hated Martinez by the time he left. Like, despised the very ground he walked on. Some of them have been sleeping on bed sheets with Martinez out for five years now. Bringing him back is a slap in the face to the club as well. Even in an interim role, it's a slap in the face. If you want an interim manager, go and appoint someone who can just get you to the end of the season. And look, if it's Dyche, if it's Hodgson, I may chuckle a little bit, but I'll see the purpose of it. And if it's Dice or, or sorry, if it's Allardyce, I meant to say Allardyce or Hodgson, I'll, I'll be able to see the logic to it. And maybe they set you up then for Sean Dyche, who's got some similarities to them. He's not a footballing dinosaur. His football's a bit better than theirs. But the, the principles that they'll instill will help him. If you want to go that route, go for one of them. If you want to go the Potter route, I'm not really sure where you go with that in terms of an interim manager. Potter is a more difficult case. Maybe you just have to stick with your big dunks. Maybe you have to go with a Martinez if your plan is Potter. But, you know, even Valverde would make sense as a transition point to Dyche. But Rooney and Lampard, I mean, that's just silly. Rooney is pandering to the fan base. I don't know what Lampard would be. But I saw nothing at Chelsea that suggested that Lampard is a good manager yet. Lampard needs to go and manage in the championship. It's that simple. Frank Lampard needs to go and manage in the championship. He got the Derby job based on his name. He got the Chelsea job based on his name. He needs to go do a job and earn the following job based on what he's actually done as a manager, not on his name. We'll take a break. When we come back, I have no idea what we'll talk about. But we'll make something up as we go along. So we'll see you in a minute. Right, welcome back. So, following on from what I was talking about with Everton, just to confirm, Francesco de Miguel Moreno, the assistant manager, he's also gone. Antonio Gomez, uh, first team coach and senior analyst, he's also gone. Jamie Harley, head of sports science, he's also gone. And Christian Fernandez, first team rehabilitation fitness coach, uh, coach, he's also gone. So, like I said, the new manager who walks in at Everton may have to make lunch for the players. Everybody's gone. They've cleared the decks. They're all Benitez appointments, and all of them are now gone. Little bit strange. Little bit strange not to at least keep, well, at least keep the head of sports science. Whatever about the other three, maybe they're all tied to Benitez and they wanted to leave. 
But I, I would have thought you keep your first team rehabilitation fitness coach and your first team coach and senior analyst for a little bit of time. You know, you keep them involved, but not for Everton. Um, little bit of news for Chelsea. Levi Colwell is set to stay at Huddersfield until the summer. A lot of clubs have been interested in him. He's a massive talent. Maybe the best young English defensive talent around right now. On loan at Huddersfield, he's past the game time threshold. So it looks like Chelsea can't recall him without paying a bit of a fee there. So he seems set to stay. Um, Greg Evans in The Athletic is reporting that Aston Villa want to sign a centre-back. Whether that's a starter or a depth player, I'm not sure. Uh, there has been rumours linking Courtney Halls with a move away or Courtney House with a move away. Be a strange one. They only have three centre-backs. They need a fourth one anyway. Um, Joe Gomez seems to be their top centre-back choice, but Joe Gomez is going there to start and he's not available now. Um, Dan Sheldon is reporting that it's unlikely that Brogia would be loaned out again next season, that he may well be sold. And Adam Leventhal is reporting that Marseille are set to appeal the transfer ban and fine put in place on them uh, due to the, the Gaillet calamity with Watford, where he signed for Watford and then claimed his agent had told him he'd earn 40 grand a week and it was actually 40 grand a month. So he forced a deal to Marseille. Marseille, I think, paid three and a half million for maybe four million. And uh, Watford have now screwed them to the wall over that one, which is, you know, kind of funny. Watford doing their their damnedest to be the most unpopular club with all African players and all African fans. Um, Derby. I mentioned with Rooney and I mentioned the situation they're in. And if you're not fully aware of what's going on at Derby, do take the time to go and read up about the situation at Derby County. They're in administration. They've been docked 21 points this season. They're under a transfer embargo. They've been forced to sell off their best young players uh, as and when offers come in. There are a couple of bids allegedly in place for Derby, but the EFL seemingly have put a stop to them for now based on pending legal action from Middlesbrough and Wickham that they want resolved before the club is sold. Now, look, decency would suggest you allow the club to be sold and then you tell the new owner you then have to deal with these legal legal claims. Uh, new owners, though, may look at it and say, well, hang on, this is, these are Mel Morris's mess, so he can sort it out. But it is getting to the point where we should be really concerned about Derby County and whether or not they're going to continue to exist in their current form. Derby are one of the great clubs of English football. They're 138 years old, formed in 1884. It's an institution. It's a community club. It plays a massive part in the city of Derby. It's a club that have had success as well. It's a club that have won two top flight league titles. 
It's a club that have won the FA Cup. It's a club that got to a European Cup semi-final. It's a club that plays a prominent role in the story of Brian Clough. Derby County cannot be allowed to go the way of Bury. It cannot be allowed to go the way of Macclesfield. It cannot be allowed to go to the wall. Derby County needs to be saved. Go on Twitter, put in hashtag Save Derby County and read a lot of what's been said. There are a couple of petitions that you can find on change.org. Sign them and help out. Help save Derby County. Simple as that. I am admittedly now looking to fill a bit of time. However, I'm sure you're okay with that. If you're still listening, you're probably okay with me filling a bit of time. This is the time that should have been filled with me doing that thing for Isaac, but I forgot. So instead of that, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do one sensible transfer. Because sensible transfers is a thing now. Uh, the Athletic have popularized it with TIFO. And um, I thought I'd do one sensible, trans sensible transfer for all 20 Premier League clubs. Completely off the top of my head because I haven't prepared for this. I'm a little unprepared today, which is not unusual. Normally I say to Guy, just before we start recording, what on earth are we talking about today? And we make it up as we go along. Because I don't like to write things out. I, I don't really function well in that way. Um tend to just... Guy says, you know, you're good to go, and I just go. That's basically how this works. So I don't like to prepare too much in advance. Um, maybe I should. Maybe it'd be a better podcast. I don't know. Let me know uh, if you think it would be. Maybe a bit more structure would come in handy, but, you know, this is just what I do. Um, right, one sensible transfer for all the Premier League clubs. So Manchester City, their squad is phenomenal. There's great players everywhere. There's a lot of money spent on that squad. They've got, you know, basically two of everything. But the one thing they don't have two of, I would say, are left-backs and strikers. They've only got one real striker at the club in Gabriel Jesus. They've only got one real left-back at the club in Joe Canseo, who's actually a right-back. Zinchenko's actually a midfielder. They're kind of the left-backs because Benjamin Mendy is unavailable for reasons that we won't get into. Um, so they could do with a left-back and they could do with a forward player. We know they wanted Harry Kane last summer. We, we know they were looking for a goal scorer. A number nine. Now, I, I think they're better off without a number nine. But what I will say is, I think having that number nine as an option to bring on when you need them could be the way to go for City. We know money's not a factor. We know they can spend what they want. I would say Patrick Schick of Bayer Leverkusen would make a lot of sense for Manchester City. Excellent hold-up play. In his career, he has played as a second striker and he's played wide. Now, as he's developed, he's become bigger and stronger and more of an out-and-out -out number nine. 
But I don't think he'd demand to be an every game starter. So, you know, in a lot of the games where City don't need him, he could sit on the bench, he could be an option off the bench. But in certain games, he'd be a really good difference maker for them. I think Patrick Schick would be a sensible transfer for Manchester City. For Liverpool, it's Orlean Chiumeni. They need a more defensive presence in midfield to help Fabinho. They need someone that can play multiple positions in midfield. He can play as a six and as an eight. He can be a defensive eight, or he can be a bit more adventurous and a bit more box-to-box. At 21, with huge upside and a long-term potentially successor for Fabinho, I think he would be perfect in this Liverpool team. So, Chiumeni is the sensible transfer for Liverpool. Some of these will have been linked by the press. I'm not claiming to have just come up with these ideas by myself. And I'm not claiming this next one either. But the sensible transfer for Chelsea is Jules Koundé of Sevilla. Absolutely perfect to play in a back three. Made to play on the right-hand side of a three. Despite only being 5'11", he's great in the air. He's brilliant on the ground. He can also play right back in a flat back four if you need him to. He can play centre back in a back four if you need. So you're not tied to a back three long term. He is better than every single defender they currently own. And they may potentially lose two or even three of their centre backs in the summer. They've had long term interest. The player allegedly is interested. That's the move that makes the most sense, in my opinion. For them. West Ham United. The biggest need for me. For West Ham. I think they need an upgrade in goal. I think they've got an upgrade in goal. In Areola. I think they could do with upgrading at left back. But it's not a pressing need. They could do with some depth there. They could do with some depth at centre-back, some depth in midfield. But I think the biggest area of need is probably depth behind Mikel Antonio. And I think Marcus Turam of Borussia Mönchengladbach would be ideal. Like Antonio, he's played more of his football in wide areas than centrally. But as he gets a bit older, I think he's 24, 25 now, he's filling out, bulking up and becoming more of a central player. I think he's got a similar enough skill set to Antonio, similar enough build to Antonio. He's a bit taller, maybe not as blocky, but I think I think Marcus Turam would be ideal for West Ham. I don't think he'd cost the sun, moon, and the stars. I think he'd cost less than 20 million, and he'd be a really good fit there. Arsenal, the biggest need for me is a controlling midfielder, someone to play next to Thomas Partey. Someone that can hold that midfield together and let Partey go box to box, free him up to do what he's best at. Not having him sitting in, being the holding midfielder, because it's not his role. It's not what he does best. The most ideal one is a former Arsenal player, Ishmael Benesser, currently at AC Milan. I don't know that he would go back there. I don't know that they'd want him back. I don't know what the situation was when he left other than that they were foolish and let him go for pennies. But if they're throwing around the type of money they seem to be throwing around, Fabian Ruiz of Napoli is the best fit in my view. Fabian Ruiz is a brilliant passer of the ball, super high IQ, great positionally, 
versatile enough to play a multitude of positions, versatile enough to fit any system you want to go to. So he's not just tied to how they want to play now. He's, I think he's 25. Fabian Ruiz is 25 years of age. He'll be 26 in April. So he's just about to hit his peak. I think you put him next to Thomas Partey, all of a sudden you've got a real midfield. You've got a little bit of toughness as well because they're a little bit soft. Now, he's not a, you know some kind of crunching ball winner type, but I do think he's got mental toughness. He is the player some foolish people think Granite Jacket is, but much better than that. So Fabio Norris to Arsenal will be the one for me. Tottenham, I think there's a, a number of needs here, but I don't think there's any that scream out to me as much as a left-sided centre-back. They're playing a back three. It's a Conte back three as well, so it's going to play a little bit deeper. I think Romero's perfect in the middle. I think they've got players that can play the right-sided role. Not brilliantly, but I mean, Tanganga, Davinson, Roden, they can fill that gap till the summer. I'm talking about signing players now. And I think the guy they could go and get is Sven Botman. Now, I know Lille have been pricing him out of a move to Newcastle. I also think there's a part of it that he just doesn't want the move to Newcastle. I think he would take a move to Spurs. I think him and Romero works as a two long term, if you want to go that way. Or it works as two thirds of a three. Him in the Bastoni role, I think it works. So that's who I would go with for Tottenham. For Manchester United, it's all about the midfield. They're desperately in need of a holding midfielder and someone that can run a game from the midfield. In terms of a holding midfielder, I think Bubakar Kamara, available on the cheap this window because he's had a contract in the summer, could be somebody that can come in. Doesn't necessarily have to be a long-term starter for them, but, I mean, your Declan Rice's, your Jude Bellingham's, they're not available now. He is, and he's a huge upgrade on what you have. He's also a player that can develop over the next five years before he hits his prime and could be a really special holding midfielder. A Fabinho type. So if you're playing a 4-3-3, you could go Bruno, Kamara, and Fred as a midfield three. Behind a front three, of Sancho, Greenwood, Rashford. And that is something. You'd obviously want to upgrade on Fred. You're going to up, need to upgrade your fullbacks. But I don't think they're as much of a screaming need as that holding midfielder. I say Bubakar Kamara to Manchester United. For Wolves, I think centre-back is the biggest need. I think they could do with more goals. That's clear. And look... People might say, oh, but they've got the second best defensive record in the league. Why would you want to bring in a centre-back? Because individually, I don't think the centre-backs are tremendous. Individually, I think they can be upgraded on. Now, the one I'd look at for Wolves would be David Carmo of Sporting Braga. Huge potential. Coming back off a dreadful ankle injury. So he may be one... You've had to, you'd have to fit in over a course of a couple of months rather than someone that just kind of parachutes straight in as a starter. But David Carmo joining the Portuguese contingent there makes sense to me. Ferro, formerly of, of Benfica, I'm not sure where Ferro is this year. Is he yet on loan? He was at, on loan at um, 
Valencia, I think, last time I checked, but he may be back at Benfica. Uh, he is back on loan at Benfica. Is he playing football this year? He could be one that could slot in straight away. Uh, he's not playing a whole bunch at all this year. So maybe he's one they could look to bring in. He's worked under Bruno Lage before. He's done very well under Bruno Lage before. He is a good defender who unfortunately has fallen foul of George uh, Jesus's infatuation with aging, mediocre centre-backs. Ferro, actually, you know what? I'll go Ferro over Carmel because price-wise, he'd be quite a bit cheaper. He's ready to play now and he can play the central role or the right-sided role in your back three. So he gives you a bit of flexibility there. They'll have... Kilman, obviously, they've got Cody. Bolly will come back. Sice will come back. Neither of them are. Bolly's not good. Sice is, is pretty good, actually, but he's not really a centre-back. Uh, and they've got Mascara, who they brought in in the summer. But, I, I, yeah, Farrell is the one I would go with. It was. Don't think it would cost a lot either. And their owners seem to be being quite cautious with money. Um, Brighton and Hove Albion, it's, it, the need is still the need. It's a goal scorer. It has to be a goal scorer. They've got to go and find somebody that can get them eight to ten goals across the back half of the season if they want to maintain this top half status and potentially even challenge for Europe because in a weird season, maybe it's open to them this season. Now, who is that striker? I've suggested Voot Veghorst before, and I still think Voot Veghorst makes all the sense for them. Wolfsburg are having a really bad season. He has 18 months left on his contract. Now, he is 29, but he's the type of guy I think his his game will hold as he ages. I don't think he's somebody who will decline at a kind of staggering rate. I think Veghorst remains the best option for them, and I'm going to stick with him. Uh, for Leicester City... They've got a lot of good attackers. They've got good midfielders. They they don't have a, a, a screaming need. You know, you might look to... The one I would look at and say is I would look to find a successor to Kasper Schmeichel. Somebody that can come in, be an understudy for the next, say, 12 months. And then by the midway point in next season... They're really pushing him for that starting role. And by the time the 23-24 season starts, they're the first choice. Now, I don't know whether Fiorentina would be able to would be willing to sell him. Uh, but I do think he represents a good fit for how Leicester play. I think age-wise, he profiles well. Drakowski from Fiorentina, 24 years of age, 6'3", commanding presence, really aggressive sweeper-keeper style, good with his feet. I think he's one that would make a lot of sense. He mightn't be overly chuffed at the idea of coming in and spending a year behind Kasper Schmeichel, but I think he would be the perfect signing for Leicester City. Um, Crystal Palace, I think they've got a couple of needs. Certainly a right back. I'd probably be hunting for a goalkeeper as well because I don't know that I put all my faith in Butland. 
Right back, though, is the one that really does scream out to me uh, as a position that they need to upgrade in. Now, this guy won't be available in this window, but if I was them in the summer, I would go for Max Ahrens. I would go for Max Ahrens. If Norwich go down, I think his value is going to be somewhere in the 15 to 18 million kind of range. I don't think it's as high as it was the last time they were in the Premier League. I think the some of the shine has gone off him a little bit, but I still think there's a really good player there. And I think Max Ahrens makes a lot of sense. For now, for the immediate short term, I think Tom Davies on loan from Everton would give them another one in midfield, another runner, another dynamic player who can go box to box and maybe under Vieira can reignite his career. And then maybe if they can't keep Gallagher, he can slide into that role and then keep him permanently. I think Everton would be open to doing business on Tom Davies. I think Tom Davies would jump at the chance to make a fresh move and get a fresh start. So I think Tom Davies for now. But I do really like the idea of Max Aaron's there long term. Uh, Southampton next. And they've moved to a back three recently, which is interesting. Now, what I would say is if they're going to play a back three, they've got to bring in some central defensive depth. I think that's the biggest need for them. But let's say they stick with the midfield, the box midfield they've been using previously, that 4-2-2-2. The biggest need then is, is one depth midfielder. You can't just have Romeo, Ward-Prowse and Diallo. It's just not going to work for you. You've got to find somebody who can come in and give you an option to provide something a little bit different, be it, you know, just a, a bit more control in the game or just even more of what you already have. I would love to see them take a chance on Sean Longstaff. I think he needs desperately to get out of Newcastle. I think he stagnated badly, but I think there's a lot of talent there. I think he can bring some of what they lost when they lost Pierre-Emil Heusberg, I don't think they've replaced him properly. I think Sean Longstaff makes sense for Southampton. He's, I, I think he's at a contract either this summer or next summer. So I don't think he'd be prohibitively expensive. There was talk he could go to Everton. He's at a contract this summer. He's 24 years of age. I think there's a player there. Five million might get him for you right now. I think it's a gamble worth taking. I don't think you can lose on that one. English players will hold some value. You will get that money back. Look, at worst, he's your fourth central midfielder. Five million for a fourth central midfielder who you know can play in the division. I think that's a good signing. I would go Sean Longstaff for Southampton. Aston Villa, I'm I'm annoyed they didn't take my suggestion of Borna Sosa for left back. I thought he was perfect. Dini is a very good signing, don't get me wrong, but Sosa fit their timeline a bit better. I think he fit their style a bit better, and I think he had more room to grow. Um, with Marvellous Nakamba out, I have concerns over their depth at holding midfield. I think Douglas Louise is a six, sorry, is an eight rather than a six. John McGinn is obviously an eight. Chuck Wemmick is an eight. Ramsey's an eight. Sanson is an eight. They don't really have a natural six there other than Marvis Nakamba, who's injured. And to be fair, 
isn't necessarily the best number six in the world because positionally he's not great. Now, if I hadn't suggested him already for Manchester United, I would say go and get yourself Bubakar Kamara. I think Bubakar Kamara would be a perfect fit there. But since I have already suggested him, we need to look elsewhere. Now, one club that has made an outstanding run of midfield signings to develop and move on is RB Salzburg. One of the things they do better than anybody is they identify young holding midfield types who they can develop and then sell on at, you know, decent profit. And Semaseku, DDA Semaseku, formerly of uh, Red Bull Salzburg, now of Hoffenheim, is a player I think would make sense for Villa. Really good positionally, reads the game excellently. Aggressive, great ball winner. Now, he is away at AFCON, so you'd have to deal with that until he comes back. But I think Samisaku would make a lot of sense for Aston Villa in that holding midfield role. Really good ball winner, really good shield, just a very intelligent player. For me, he'd be the one for Villa. Because of largely, he'd be my second choice after Bubakar Kamara, but I don't want to be repeating players for the same clubs. So I'll go him there. Next up then is Brentford. Now, there's a few needs here, but I think the biggest one has got to be that right wing back spot. Now, they tried to get Vanderson in the January window, and he ended up going to he ended up going to Monaco. So I think they're looking for an aggressive attacker in that position. And I wonder if Isaiah Jones of Middlesbrough is one they could look at. He's taken on that right wing back spot this year and he's been excellent. Now, it may be too early. He's very inexperienced. So maybe I'm jumping the gun on him. But I really like what what I've seen from him. Failing him, and maybe we just leave him where he is for now and let him develop. Jaden Bogle. Jaden Bogle of Sheffield United. Really good attack-minded player. Has plenty of experience under his belt. Already 125 senior appearances. He's played in the Premier League for Sheffield United with mixed results, admittedly, because largely because Sheffield United were awful. But Jaden Bogle. We'll go Jaden Bogle for Brentford to fill that right wing back spot. Uh, for Leeds, all uninjured players. Any uninjured player would be the perfect signing for Leeds right now. But if we take it that they're going to start getting players back, we know that they've got, you know, some decent centre-backs in Laurenti and Cock and Struik. We know they've got a decent left-back in, in Firpo, a promising goalkeeper in Melier, a very good midfielder in Phillips. I think they can move... Um, Harrison centrally and play Dan James wide on the left. Potentially play Harrison and Rodrigo as the two eights with Rafinha on the right. And then Bamford up front. We know they have no depth. That's kind of the issue. But I would say that in their starting 11, if you look at their starting 11 as Melier, Ailing, Cock, no, say, let's say Lorientes, Struyck, 
fair poll, and then what I named out above. The weak link is Luke Ayling. It just is. And I think they can replace Luke Ayling and, and, and upgrade him. And then move him into a backup role where he can be more effective and maybe where he's more suited. I think that would be the move with Luke Ayling, is to move him into a squad role uh, and look to bring in a a right back who can who can just add something to this team from a defensive point of view. Now, this guy's, I think, become hugely underrated because I think his time at, now, do you know what, he would, he's not a great fit. We, I was going to say Emil Kraft because I think defensively he'd be a big upgrade on Ailing, but let's be honest, defenders aren't in the Leeds team to defend. By and large, they're in the Leeds team to attack, to get forward, to add something in the final third. So I'm going to say Leo Dubois of Lyon. Really good attacking right back. Now, he is the captain at Lyon. I don't know if he will to leave for a club like Leeds who won't be in the Champions League, won't be in Europe. But if you could get him... I really do think there's a cracking player there. Very, very good going forward. Good defensively. Not great defensively, but but solid, solid defensively. He's become a regular in the French squad. Um, And I don't think that should rule him out because you've got international uh, Robin Koch, international Diego Lauriente, international junior fur, but you've got international players. You can be confident to go and get these players. You'll pay good, good money, likely more than he's on at Lyon. Um, I'm not sure what his contract situation is, but Leo Dubois would make a lot of sense. As an upgrade in all areas on Luke Ayling, I think Leo Dubois is the one. Um, right, who have we got next then? Um, Everton. They've got... Uh, I'm not a Pickford fan, everybody knows that, but they've got Pickford... I like the new fullbacks. I like Godfrey. I think they can patch together a midfield four. I like the front two. I think a centre-back is the biggest need for Everton Football Club. A centre-back to go with Ben Godfrey. Someone that can bring a commanding air to the team, maybe a bit of organisation. But I also think someone that can be developed for the long term. I don't think you want to go and lump a 28-year-old in with Godfrey, who's 23, 24, Patterson, who's 20, Michael Enko, who's 23. You know, I think you've got to look for someone who's more in their age line, more in their age bracket to fit that timeline. Calvert-Loon and Richarlison, they're only 24. So again, you're looking for someone that's going to grow with them, grow with a Damari Gray, grow with an Anthony Gordon. Um, And I've suggested this guy for a couple of clubs before, but I think he could make a lot of sense here if they can go and get him, Max Sens-Lacroix. Commanding, dominant centre-back, front-footed, I think would make a ton of sense for Everton. Put him in that defence with Godfrey. I think that works. And, and... Wolfsburg might even be willing to take Yerry Mina as part of that deal because they've been linked to him in the past. 
So that's where I'd go with that one. For Watford, I think the biggest need, I would say, is, is well, they need more centre-backs, but a goalkeeper. A goalkeeper. I've seen talk of Dean Henderson on loan. I don't think that's realistic. But I think Freddie Woodman or Carl Darlow on loan from Newcastle is realistic. I think they're both upgrades on Ben Foster and Daniel Bachman. I would say go and get one of them. Darlow has the experience of relegation battles. Woodman's the more talented, but we saw him in the Premier League this season. He looked a bit overawed by it. I would say go and get Carl Darlow from Newcastle on loan. Now, would they be willing to loan him to a team in the relegation scrap against them? That I don't know. That I genuinely don't know. But that's what I think would be a sensible transfer for Watford. Uh, For Norwich... It's funny, I kind of like the Norwich team. I know they've been really poor this season, but I do like a lot of the pieces. And the more I see them, the more I start to like certain players. Like, I really liked Josh Sargent playing as a Dirk Cout type right winger. And I really like Rashika have for years. A day makes sense as a 10. Now, I, I still think Matthias Norman comes back into that midfield next to Lise Malou. And that improves them. I think they can improve at centre-back simply by paying Ozan Kabak over Grant Hanley. I like both full-backs. I'm not a big Ben Gibson fan, but he's decent. The goalkeeper's cruel and, and Gunn. I mean, I'd like to see Gunn get a chance, but Cruel is doing okay. I think they need a goal scorer. Even if it's not a starter, someone that can come into the team off the bench or to play with Team Puki, I think that's what they've got to go and get. And I think Eddie Nketiah from Arsenal is so worth going and paying the 10 or 11 million. You're never losing on that deal, ever. Because if you go down, he'll bang in goals in the championship. Eddie Nketiah will bang in goals in the championship. I would go and I would go get Eddie Nketiah. It's, it's strange how much I like that team, considering how bad they are. But like I really like Cantwell, I like Solis. I really like the players they have. I think if they'd had I think if they'd been a bit more flexible in the summer in terms of the preparation for the season, I think they could have had a chance of staying up. I picked them to stay up. Uh Newcastle United centre back. Centre backs. It's what you need. You're crying out for them. Um, they've been linked with Diego Carlos. They've been linked with Botman. They've been linked with Baddy Ashelli. Um Can I change my Watford one? I I don't think I don't I don't think Newcastle would let Darlow or Woodman go there. So I do think a goalkeeper is a big need, but picking goalkeepers to come into a club like that is difficult. Nat Phillips, just go and buy Nat Phillips and stick him at centre-back and he'll head away whatever you need him to head away. There's your sensible transfer. But I, I still say Darlow's the better option. Um, Newcastle needs centre-backs and Tarkovsky would have been the one for me, but I think they've screwed the pooch with that one by upsetting Burnley um, by going and signing Chris Wood on his buyout clause. So I think you've got to start casting a bit of a wider net 
I do wonder if Chris Smalling would be willing to come back to Newcastle. Now, look, Chris Smalling isn't a great centre-back at all. But he is a solid Premier League proven centre-back who's dominant in the air. And that's kind of what Newcastle need. He's also a decent organiser, which is what Newcastle need. And I wonder if they could get Chris Smalling out of Roma. Now, I wouldn't do it if I was working for them. But just looking at the types of centre-backs they're looking for, or they're being linked with, who knows what they're actually doing. The types of centre-backs they've been linked with, they seem to want one who's aerially dominant. That's why Diego Carlos seems to be getting linked. Chris Smalling's better in the air than him. He's less error-prone than him. His ceiling's not as high, but he might just be a little bit more reliable. And he might be cheaper. So I, I would suggest maybe Chris Smalling. Um, Burnley need a goal scorer. They sold Chris Wood. They didn't want to, but they did. They need a goal scorer. I would say that it has to be someone that fits how they play. And how they play is they want a target man. So Ludovic Jorke of Strasbourg is the one that makes sense to me. I think you get him for less than you got for Wood. So that's what I would do. Ludovic, Ludovic Jorke is the one I would go for. I think he's the one that makes the most sense. Uh, we'll finish up with the gossip. We've gone long and I'm late getting this out again today. But such is life. Um... France striker Anthony Martial wants to leave Manchester United but does not want to go to another English club. And This is from Romano, so it's probably trash. Manchester United are targeting John McGinn. Right, going to stay in mid-table. So, Newcastle have offered a fee of over €30 million Euros for Atalanta and Colombia striker Duvan Zabata. Zabata and Wood up front, really. Uh, Wolves and uh, Wolves winger Adama Traore could get the green light to leave the club in the next 24 hours. Doubtful. David Beckham can move for a big signing at Inter Miami after the departure of high-earning midfielder Blas Matuidi, with Luis Suarez among the names tipped to arrive. I'd love to see Suarez just going and causing chaos in um, in the MLS. Um, Has has Matuidi retired or what's has his contract run out? It seems unlikely. Bizarre. I'd missed that he left. Uh, Rangers left back Berna, Borna Barisic has confirmed a club made a move for him earlier in the window. Uh, allegedly, it was Watford. Arsenal's negotiations with Juventus over a loan for Arthur Mello has stalled because the Serie A club. Have not found a replacement. Chelsea could be given a free run at signing Arlene Chiumeni with Manchester United turning their attention to Amadou Hydera and Dennis Akaria. Don't worry, they won't be because Liverpool are all over that one. Free agent Diego Costa, who has been linked with Arsenal, is keen on a move to Brazilian club Corinthians. Um, yeah, just stay in Brazil. Enjoy your life. Don't be coming back to the Premier League. You're, you, you're finished as a top-level football player, so don't come back and embarrass yourself. Manchester United are leading the race to sign Sergei Milinkovic-Savage. It feels like I've been reading that story for six years now. And they've never once been anywhere close to signing him. 
Uh, Belgian forward Eden, <laughs> Eden Hazard wants to leave Real Madrid, but is not interested in joining Newcastle. Well, buddy, that's your level now. You have been a train wreck at Real Madrid. One of the biggest flops in football history. Barcelona have given Usman Dembele 48 hours. They've been giving him 48 hours to make a decision on his future for about a year and a half now. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain have offered Chelsea the chance to sign Levan Kurzawa, but Thomas Tuchel is not keen on him, probably because he's not very good. Uh, Hugo Lloris is close to extending his contract with Tottenham. Is this Alistair Gould? It is Alistair Gould. Alistair Gould. Alistair Gould is the guy's name. Um, yeah, I mean, look, if Alistair says it, it's obviously true, but I wouldn't have done it. I'd be letting him leave. Manchester City's 23-year-old goalkeeper, Arijanet Muric, who is on loan at Turkish club Adana Demispor, is set to join Galatasaray at the end of the season. Uh, on a free, or what's the situation? Yeah, is he out of contract? No, he's got two years left on his deal at City. So how, unless City have agreed to sell him, I don't know. Um, he's very, very talented. Very, very talented goalkeeper. Big, big unit of a fella. Um, Kosovo International. But yeah, fair play. Off you go. Enjoy yourself. That'll do us for today, folks. Thank you as always. I will see you tomorrow. And Isaac, I promise I will try to have these things ready. I'm going to try and do them now. But if I get distracted, who knows what will happen. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.